Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the science of success the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 4 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we unlock the power of asking. When you ask for what you need, miracles can happen, but so many of us are too afraid to really ask or feel like we don't know how or what we should be asking for. How do you get better at asking? How can you tap the tremendous power and potential of the social capital within your own network by using the power of asking? We answer these questions and share some incredible strategies with our guest, Dr. Wayne Baker. Are you a fan of the show and have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. That's successpodcast.com. Or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44. In our previous interview, we showed you how to grow a business with no capital, no product, and no service. We discovered how to train yourself to spot outrageous business opportunities surrounding you in everyday life, and we gave you the strategies for building trust with your ideal clients and business partners. We asked, what does it take to become great in your career, job, business, and life? And we looked exactly at how you can achieve greatness in those key areas. We discussed all of that and much more with our previous guest, Jay Abraham. If you want to start or grow a business, but you don't have the money, capital, or resources you need, listen to that interview. Now, for our interview with Wayne. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Wayne Baker. 
Wayne is an American author and sociologist on the senior faculty of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. He's best known for his research in economic sociology and his survey research on values, where he documented America's core values. He writes in both academic and popular media on this theme and is often involved to present his findings across the U.S. in various different media outlets. Wayne, welcome to the Science of Success. Thank you, Matt. Glad to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show today. There's so many interesting and important lessons from your work and your research that I want to dig into. I'd love to start out with a simple concept, which is the idea of paying it forward. Paying it forward is one of the most powerful human principles. Uh, We can start with the idea of just paying it back. So, you know, you help me and I help you in return. We call that direct reciprocity, and that's important, and you would want that to happen. Paying it forward is a little bit different, which is that you help me, and I'm grateful, and I pay it forward and help a third person. And that turns out to be the most powerful form of reciprocity in a group or an organization or even in a community. That's fascinating. And the distinction between repaying a favor and helping someone who previously helped you versus helping a stranger and passing it on is really fascinating. You hear about that in the sense of karma or being a good person or doing it because it's the right thing, et cetera. But there's actually some really fascinating research that comes out of that as well and some really interesting conclusions. I know one of the things that you talk about that I'd never heard of that I thought was quite interesting was the idea of a kidney chain. Can you talk about that and maybe some of the other lessons from the research you've done around paying it forward as well? Yeah, kidney chain is a perfect example of paying it forward. And there are many examples of this, and sometimes these chains are quite long. So you have two kidneys, and you can live a healthy life with only one. And one of these chains was started by a guy named Matt Jones. He lives here in Michigan, and he decided that he wanted to change someone's life. And so he went through a process by which he volunteered to donate one of his kidneys to a complete stranger. The person who got it was near death, had was you know on the verge of total kidney failure, and receiving that kidney saved that person's life. Well, it turns out that person was married, and the husband, who would have donated his own kidney, but they weren't compatible, you know, blood types, that sort of thing, was so grateful that he said, you know, I want to do the same thing, and I'm going to pay forward one of my kidneys to another stranger. And so you can imagine this goes on and on and on, and these chains are really quite long at this point. It's people feeling enormously grateful. The lives of their loved ones you know, we're saved and that motivates them to pay forward one of their kidneys to someone else. It's really a quite amazing and a testament to, I think, the goodness in, in humankind. It's such a unique story. And these kidney chains can get sometimes dozens of people long, right? Oh, yeah, they really can. And there are some hospitals that will help to facilitate the whole process. So there are kidney registries where people can get involved in it. But it is interesting, though, if you wanted to volunteer one of your kidneys, you would have to go through not only a physical examination that you're healthy enough to do it, but a psychological examination to try to uncover your motives. Why did you want to do this? And I find this really interesting. And I suppose it's important to do that. But it's interesting. I would say, you know, what's a person's motive for wanting to pay it forward? And in the case of the chain that started here in Michigan, it was a person who said, I really want to make a significant difference in someone's life and decided that was the way he was going to do it. That was my next question. What drives people to help others as opposed to paying it back? And 
the kidney chain is obviously one example of this, but what happens in the world and to other people when we start to shift our approach towards paying it forward? And there's two explanations for paying it forward, what the motivations would be for doing that. One I mentioned, which is that you help me and I feel grateful for that help, but I pay it forward and I help a third person. But if you talk to economists, they'll say there's a more self-interested reason for helping, which is that I'm willing to help someone who has not helped me because I want to look good. It's all about impression management. It's all about my reputation. I'm going to appear generous. So therefore, other people will be more likely to help me in the future. Now, that's fine. And I have no problem with that. Uh, but the interesting thing is that the research on these two different motivations, being I'm going to help someone who hasn't helped me to build my reputation that will be, you know, that will make me appear as a generous person I'll be helped in the future versus the idea of paying it forward out of gratitude. Those research has been done in two different streams. And I did a study with Nat Buckley where we put together both of those and, and ran what we call a horse race. And we said, okay, we're going to collect a whole bunch of data and we're going to analyze statistically those two reasons, those two motivations. And we control for a host of other factors through all these statistical models. And so we're going to run this horse race and we're going to see which horse crosses the line first. And I'll cut right to the finish line. It turns out that both horses cross the finish line. But the one that wins the race is the gratitude story, the idea that we pay it forward. We help people who haven't helped us because we're so grateful for all the help that we have received from other people. That's fascinating. And the work that you've done around paying it forward, and this may be, I don't know if I'm characterizing exactly correctly, but either led to or was a part of the creation or discovery of what you call a reciprocity ring. Tell me a little bit about that and what are those and how do they work? Yeah, reciprocity ring is a group level activity based on this whole principle of paying it forward. It was an activity that my wife Cheryl and I created about 20 years ago. And we were we had an interesting conversation one evening and I'll never forget it. She said, okay, you teach your MBA students how to analyze their social networks. And I said, yep, that's what I do. That's what I know how to do. And she says, well, what do you do when they ask you, how do I put this into practice and how do I build my network appropriately and how do I use my network? And so I said, well, I kind of have some stories and some anecdotes and essentially I hope the bell's going to ring and class will be over because I don't have a whole lot. And that started a whole conversation about the idea of social capital. I think about human capital as our strengths, education, skills, the kind of things that usually appear on your resume. Social capital is the network that we're involved in and all the resources that it contains. And I said, you know, social capital is a combination of the networks that we have, but also this principle of generalized reciprocity, which is the fancy academic term for paying it forward. And so we had a discussion about that, and one thing led to another, and we created a prototype of the reciprocity ring. And after some trial and error, really settled on a formula or a recipe that really works quite well. So I could describe it uh, very briefly, and it will sound very simple, but there's a very there's a very structured way it has to be done. In fact, we train people to run a reciprocity ring because they have to follow a certain recipe. But essentially, everyone gets an opportunity to make a request, and we have criteria for what's a well-formulated request, and that's something we might talk about later on in the show. But everyone gets to make a request, but they spend most of their time helping other people meet their requests. Either they've got the answer or the resource and they could share it, or they could tap their outside network and they could make a referral or a connection. Those are the two ways that people can help. And when people do this in a group, people discover that 
they get help from a lot of people, but it's not the people that they helped. It's more of this indirect generalized reciprocity or paying it forward. Now, we do this in groups of about 24. I think we've over 150,000 people around the world have used the reciprocity ring. It's used in most of the major business schools, a lot of different companies. It was used recently at the Harvard Business School where they had 900 MBAs engaged in this. We had about 40 different rings running at the same time. But my favorite one, and I think that's the most moving example of a request that was fulfilled, was about a little girl who lived in Romania, and her name is Christina. And Christina suffered from a condition called craniosynostosis. So you know the human skull is made up of different bones, and they're joined by sutures, these fibrous tissues. And this design allows the skull to expand as the brain and the head grow. Well, every now and then, one of those joints or sutures will fuse prematurely and then the brain can't grow and the outcomes are awful. You can have a misshapen head, learning difficulties, blindness, seizures, even death. Well, the chances of finding a surgeon who could correct this in Romania were pretty slim and this little girl's fate was was up for grabs. Well, it turned out that her aunt Felicia uh, lives in France and she works at the business school INSEAD and they use the reciprocity ring every year for all of their incoming MBA students. And part of being trained to run a ring, that's what Felicia was going to do. She was on the staff. She had to make a personal request and the trainer said, make sure it's meaningful, something really important. And she thought of her little niece back in Romania and made a request for her saying, describe the whole situation and said, I need help. She needs help. Turns out that someone else who was in the reciprocity ring that day, who was also being trained, he was adjunct faculty, worked at a pediatric hospital, and he said, I know surgeons who can do that operation, and I'll introduce you. One thing led to another. Christina and her family flew from Romania to France. She had the surgery. It was a complete success, and she's now living a happy and normal life. And you know, it's, it's amazing, and that I have a picture of her that I keep on my desk to remind me of the power of asking for what you really need. And when you do, miracles can happen, just like that story with Christina. Wow, that's a really moving story and a great demonstration of the power of reciprocity rings. And it really demonstrates a point you made earlier that everybody's network, every single person's network has a tremendous amount of untapped potential, or as you called it, social capital, that we're just not fully maximizing. Oh, absolutely. What I've learned over the years is that there is a wealth of resources out there just beyond your fingertips, and the only way you can get to it is by asking. And that turns out to be the the crux of the problem, is that most people are very reluctant to ask for what they need. And there's a lot of reasons for it. There's eight reasons, in fact, of why it's hard to ask, and some of those are just incorrect beliefs. I can give you a couple of examples. Sometimes we don't ask because we're afraid we're going to look foolish or incompetent or that we can't do our jobs. And, you know, we don't you don't want to ask a trivial request because then that's not going to raise your you know perceptions of your competence. But what the research shows, and this was done by a team of researchers from Harvard and Wharton, they found that as long as you make a thoughtful, intelligent request, people will think you are more competent, not less. So people fear that asking is going to make them appear to be incompetent. As long as it's a good request, it's a thoughtful request, people will say, hey, you're competent. You know your limits. 
You don't keep, you know, banging your head against the wall, working on a problem where it could be solved much more effectively and easily by reaching out to your network and getting some help from other people. Another barrier is that we often underestimate other people's willingness and ability to help by a really big factor. One of my favorite studies was done by Frank Flynn and his team when they were at uh, Columbia University, uh, and they decided to test this with a field experiment, which is they were going to send people who are participating in the study out into New York City to do this. They had to go to a stranger and ask to borrow their cell phone. And that's all they could say. They said, could I borrow your cell phone to make a call? They couldn't explain or beg or plead or come up with a sob story. Uh, That's all they could do. And it was really interesting, Matt. A number of the people who signed up for this experiment, and you get paid for doing it, for participating, when they discovered what it was about, they quit. And they said, I don't, there's no way I'm going to go do that. I'm not going to walk into a stranger in New York and ask to borrow a cell phone. But some people did participate in the study. And before they went out, the researchers asked them, well, how many people do you think you're going to have to ask before you get a phone? And they were saying, oh, five, six, seven, ten, you know, infinite number of people. I'll never get one. Well, it turns out that you only have to ask one or two strangers now. The first person, if the first person doesn't let you use their phone, the second person probably will. And there's a lot of other studies that support that, that we often don't ask because we think no one can help us. But in fact, people have lots of resources. They have great networks and people are very willing to help, but they could only help you if you ask. A really powerful lesson. And I want to dig into a lot of the things around more about why we don't ask and also how we can start to really put together well-formulated requests and ask. Before we dig into that, I want to circle back and just hear one or two other stories to really impact this and, and show people the power that the untapped potential that lays within their networks. Tell me one or two other outrageous examples of things that have been fulfilled from using something like a reciprocity ring exercise. Well, I recall one time that I was running the reciprocity ring for General Motors here in Michigan, and it was a diverse group of people. And there was a senior engineer who made a request for help, for expertise to solve this complex engineering problem. And it had something to do with aluminum extrusion. I have to confess, I had no idea what he was talking about, but other people did. And so his request was for an expert to help him solve that problem. The help came from the most unlikely source, which was a 22-year-old admin who had just been hired by the company. You might wonder, I mean, how could that person actually help? Well, it turned out that her father was the world's expert in that particular technology. He had recently retired, and his wife was encouraging him to spend more time outside of the home. So there was plenty of opportunity there. And so what she did, she introduced that senior engineer with her father. They got together, and they solved this complex technological problem. But, you know, you never would guess that it would be a 22-year-old admin that would be the the linker, the connection. But again, people know lots of things and they know lots of people and you never know until you ask. I could give you another example. I remember a completely different industry, this in big pharma. So they're trying to discover blockbuster drugs and they work in these big drug development teams. And I was running an event for a group of these scientists, they're MD, PhD scientists. And so one person said, you know, I'm about to pay an outside vendor 
$50,000 to synthesize a strain of the PCS alkaloid. And again, I didn't know what he was talking about, but I looked that one up. And it turns out that alkaloids come from plants and can be used to make drugs. Well, another person who was participating said, huh, I had no idea that you had that need. Why? Because people don't ask. They said, now that I know, I could slack you in. I, mean, I have slack capacity in my lab. I can I could slot you in next week and do it for free. It won't cost you 50000 won't cost our employer 50000 And so they saved all that money and they made a very helpful connection inside of this group. So I've got, there are lots and lots of stories like that of the most unlikely things become possible when people ask for what they really need. So let's circle back to asking. You touched on a few of the things that prevent people from asking. What have you seen... And what has the research shown to be the biggest barriers that people face when what is causing people, for example, to drop out of a study because they're so terrified to ask for something as simple as borrowing somebody's phone? What are the things that motivate people not to ask for what they really need? A lot of times it's fear of rejection, fear that people are going to say no. But once you realize that most people would say yes, if you ask, that can be very liberating. So one thing is correcting our beliefs about people's willingness and ability to help. That would be an important thing to do. Another is to realize that you know, you need to learn how to make a thoughtful request. Sometimes people don't know what to ask or how to ask. There's been many times when I've run events over the years where people have said to me, they've taken me aside and they said, you know, I've always wanted to be in a group of people who are really helpful and generous and well-connected and be able to ask for anything that I want and I can't think of a thing. This happens all the time. And so I realized that a lot of times what stands in the way we don't ask is because we're not clear about what we need. So there's a process by which you can do this. First, you need to figure out why you're asking. What's the goal? What are you trying to achieve? And there's different methods for doing that. But once you have a sense of what your goal is, what you're trying to achieve, then you think, okay, with that goal in mind, what resources do I need? What resources would be helpful? Do I need information, advice? Do I need an opportunity? Do I need an introduction, a connection? Do I need someone to sit down and brainstorm with me? Do I need a second opinion on a project? Whatever it might be. So you've got the goal. You're trying to solve some problem. You have a request for a kind of resource that you need. Then you have to figure out who to ask. Sometimes we stop ourselves by only asking our close friends or our inner circle. Now, they'll help you, you know, if they can, but it's sometimes a lot more powerful to reach out outside of that inner circle. For example, there's a method that I call the two-step method. So it could be that I don't know who to ask, but I know someone who probably does know someone who has the answer. And I can ask that person to, you know, to kind of pay that, that request forward and connecting with that person. So that's a way of, of reaching experts, for an example. And then finally, you have to make the ask. So it's figure out the goal. That's the destination. Figure out the request. What is it that you need? Figure out who to ask and then going ahead to make the ask. So people go through that process. It gets a little bit easier. I mentioned that there are different methods for figuring out goals and requests. There's one that I call the quick start method. And I can share a couple of parts of that with you. And it's a bunch of sentence completions. So for example, I am currently working on X and I could use help to Y. So if you think about that, you know, I'm, what am I currently working on? Writing that down and then say, okay, what can I use help? You know, what can I use help for? Another one would be, you know, one of my urgent tasks is to X 
And what I need is why. That would be another example. So there's a friend of mine who was making a transition and becoming an independent consultant. His name is Chris. And he said, you know, one of my urgent tasks is to figure out if should I incorporate? Should I be an LLC? Should I be a sole proprietorship? And so he figures I have you know, that's one of my urgent tasks. I got to form that the company. And so what I need is. I need to talk to a tax attorney. I need to talk to a lawyer who can help me figure out different corporate forms and so forth. So it was going through that process, really helped them to think about, you know, what is it that I'm trying to achieve? And then what do I need to achieve that? And then who can I ask? A third one might be, you know, my biggest hope is to X and I need to Y, whatever that might be. And I like that one because you know, we often don't stop and think about what are our greatest hopes and aspirations in life and what are the things that would be helpful in reaching those. So another method is to use what we call visioning. So visioning is developing a detailed, vivid picture of a positive future. And when people do this, it's usually a couple of pages long. So it takes a while to do. But if you have that detailed vision, inspiring image of the future you're trying to create for yourself, then you can identify a bunch of goals that are in that vision, back that out to different requests that you could ask, and then figure out who to ask, and so forth. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. What if you could hire A players for your business based not just on resume, but on intangible job skills like creativity, resourcefulness, flexibility, and even the reviews and feedback of those they've previously worked with? With the power of LinkedIn Jobs, our sponsor for this week, you have all of that at your fingertips and much more. So you can find the perfect person for the job every time. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills that you're looking for so that you can find the right person fast. Because of the rich data sets and huge collection of talented individuals on LinkedIn, LinkedIn Jobs gets you in front of everybody with the skills and qualifications you want to hire while saving you the time, energy, and headache of having to do it all yourself. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. 
Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Those are some amazing exercises. I love how practical and specific they are. Very easy to start implementing even immediately. One of the interesting meta lessons that comes out of this is this importance of figuring out what you're really trying to achieve, figuring out what matters to you. And as some people call it, beginning with the end in mind. If you know what you want to achieve and you have clarity around that, then it becomes much clearer around what resources and people and things you need to start asking for and tapping your network for to achieve that goal. Absolutely. You need to start with the destination. You know, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to achieve? And I mentioned the quick start method and visioning as another way of doing it a little bit more involved. Once you have that in mind and you're thinking about the resources, there are also criteria for making what we call a smart request. Now, I use smart in a different way than it is typically used. So we'll spend a moment or two talking about that. So the S is for specific. You want to make a very specific request. The most general request I ever heard was made by an executive from the Netherlands who said, my request is for information. And that was it. And I said, well, can you elaborate? And he said, no, I can't. It's confidential. Well, you know, he didn't get any help because no one can help with a request like that. He did turn out to be pretty generous. He helped other people, but he didn't get any help for whatever his request was going to be. So the S is for specific. The M is for meaningful. Sometimes in traditional SMART criteria, the M means measurable, and measurable is nice, but I I mean meaningful and important to explain why it's important. Why are you making the request? And I found that people often leave that out. They figure that if I'm making the request, people will assume that it's important. Otherwise, I wouldn't be making it. But, you know, people don't know why you're asking unless you explain. And so that's very, very important. The why really motivates people to help you. So the A is for action or action-oriented. You want to ask for something to be done. So a goal is not a request. A goal is a destination. A request is something that helps you move towards that destination. So you want to ask for something to be done. And then the R is for real or realistic. It can be a small request as long as it's real, that it's meaningful and important. And you want it to be realistic, but I wouldn't want people to hold back because of that. I think about the story I said about Christina, who had cranial synestosis and needed a surgeon who could correct this into this condition. You want to stretch. You want to make big requests, but they do have to be realistic. If your request is to, you know, colonize the moon tomorrow, that's not going to happen. So you want to make sure that it is realistic. That kind of balances the inspirational or inspiring part. And then the T is for time, time bound. When do you need it by? And what we have found is that if you hit all five criteria, all smart criteria, people are a lot more likely to respond. I've also discovered that this works with your boss. It works with peers. It works with friends. I have a teenage son and I discovered that it works with him as well. You know, I don't use the method with him that my father used with me, which was, you'll do this because I told you so, which gets compliance, but not engagement. Engagement is that you're doing it willingly. And so I try to use that to explain why I'm asking him to do something. And most of the time, he's then willing to do it because he understands why it's important, why he needs to do it, and why it would be a good thing. Love those criteria. And it's really important to underscore this notion that the more specific your request is, the more specific the ask is, 
the higher probability you have of achieving it. If you have a broad, nebulous, general goal, it's not going to be as effective when you make an ask for one of the resources or things that you need to move towards that destination. Yeah, people often think the opposite. You know, if you make a general request that people are more likely to help, but the research and experience shows that that's simply not true. I can give you another example, a personal one. So this goes back a number of years, but our 10th wedding anniversary was coming up and I asked my wife, what would you like to do? That's a big one. Well, at that time, we were big fans of Emerald Live, which is one of the Food Network celebrity chef shows in New York City. And she said, I'd love to be on that show for our anniversary. So we had tried to get tickets to be on that show. And it's like more likely to get hit by lightning and win the lottery on the same day to get it than to get on that show. But I said, well, I don't know. I'll see what I can do. And I had an opportunity. I was running a program for orientation for our incoming business school students. So there's like 500 people and faculty were being piped in on these big jumbotrons to lead different sessions on different topics. And so I was doing a variation of this idea of asking and giving. And I decided to make a request, which was related to my wife's wish to be on Emerald Live in New York City. And I explained, I used the SMART criteria. I mean, the M there is really important. Now, you know, a lot of the students were not married, but they remember their parents' significant anniversaries and how important they were. Some of them were married and they knew the important personally of anniversaries and the celebrations. Well, to my amazement, three or four people came forward. Somebody knew someone who was dating Emerald's daughter. So that's totally true, but it didn't work because they broke up. But the connection that did work was to Emerald's segment producer on Good Morning America. So at that time, he would occasionally do a Friday morning show on Good Morning America. And so this MBA student and his wife were really good friends with the segment producer. And he said, look, I'll put you in touch with that person. It was all done by email. And they were going to New York to at least meet Emerald on that particular show. And we did. He was really a really very nice, very friendly guy. And later on, we got tickets to go over to the Food Network. Now, that was a total surprise. We thought just meeting him would be enough. So we go across town. We go to where they filmed the Food Network. Turns out that he gave us VIP passes. We're right up front. And to make this even better, it turned out that they were filming the show for the upcoming Valentine's Day. Now, this is for our anniversary. I had no idea we were going to be on the show. Of course, I had no idea what the show was going to be about. And it turned out to be about Valentine's Day. It could not be more appropriate for celebrating our anniversary. And it was really, really a highlight. And again, it underscores that idea of asking for what you really need. And I remember when afterwards, you know, everyone's leaving and, and people came up and they said, how did they find you? And I said, we found them by asking. And... Again, it underscores that idea of the importance of asking for what you really need. You've shared some amazing tactics for the mechanics of how to formulate better asks, how to figure out what you want to ask for. I'm curious about the psychological barriers. How have you helped people or what have you uncovered in your work or research around overcoming the fear of rejection, the fear of imposing on others or seeming selfish? How do you help people get past those psychological things that even if we know how to make a great request may stop us from actually making it? There's two things, education and action. So part of what I try to do is to go through all the reasons why people are reluctant to ask and then to show what we know from research. 
So when you realize if you make a smart, well-formulated request, a thoughtful request, people are more likely to think you're competent, not less competent. I mean, that's liberating for people. When you learn that most people are willing to help if you ask, uh, that's liberating as well. But that's only half of it. The other half is action. You actually have to do it. And there I recommend two things. One, make a small request in a safe place. So that could be at home or it could be with your friends or it could be in a community organization. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's not. So I say start with something small and make sure it's a safe place. The other thing you can do in terms of action is to use some of the tools like the reciprocity ring. There's many others in which asking is the ticket of admission. It's easier to ask if you know that everyone has to make a request. Everyone's in the same psychological boat, so to speak. I'll give you another example, another really good practice. It's called the stand-up. The stand-up is widely used at IT and software development firms, and I think it has enormous potential for any group. So in a stand-up, you'll have the people in a group or in a team would literally stand up, say, at 10 o'clock every morning, stand in a circle, and they quickly go around, and each person has to say three things. Here's what I worked on yesterday. Here's what I'm working on today, and this is the help that I need. And the help is followed up with later on. Now, it doesn't take very long to do that, but it's a requirement. Those are the three things you're supposed to ask about. So knowing that makes it a lot safer. And knowing that everyone's going to make a request makes it a lot safer. Again, everyone's in the same boat. We use that, for example, at our Center for Positive Organizations. We're not an IT firm. What we do at our center is apply positive psychology to build thriving workplaces, thriving organizations. And we try to practice what we preach. So every morning, the staff will have their daily stand-up where they'll stand in a circle and they'll answer those three questions, what I worked on yesterday, what I'm working on today, and the help that I need. That's a great strategy. And it's important, that lesson also underscores this idea that it's important to integrate these lessons and the framework of creating structured opportunities for asking into your work and into your life. And if you do that, you can start to uncover not only ways that you can find help for yourself, but also ways that you can start to help others across your network. Yeah. And you don't have to be the team leader or the CEO to start doing this. You could propose these methods. Like if you're in a group or a team, you could say, hey, I learned about this idea of a stand-up or the reciprocity ring, and there's a dozen others, and say, you know, let's give it a try. And when people do, I always encourage them to give it a try for at least 30 to 45 days and to expect some reluctance in the beginning. But you know, when people start, they'll start small and they'll make safe requests. As long as everyone gets to make one, uh, over time, they start to see the power of this. And what I've seen is that people start making bigger and bigger requests. And then that's where things really begin to pay off. But you've got to make that commitment for 30 or 45 days because, you know, in the beginning, people will be a little bit reluctant. You don't want people to stop before they really had a chance to experience the power of doing this. You know, we could also do this in our daily lives. Whenever we meet someone or interact with someone, say hello to someone, every one of those encounters is an opportunity to listen to that person and to think about how you could help that person. You could start the chain that way or to think about, you know, what is it that you really need and be willing to ask for it. Again, try something safe, try something small, and you'll see through action and experience over time how valuable it really is. What are some of the different styles or ways of asking? And do people fall into different camps and categories? Well, I think sometimes people 
they jump to asking too quickly without thinking it through. They're not really clear about the goal they're trying to achieve, and they haven't taken the five smart criteria into account. So you really want to be thoughtful. You don't want to jump in too quickly. But that said, it can be done very casually. It doesn't have to be you know, a formal presentation or something that that's stilted. It could be in a very casual conversation, but you know, to explain why you're making a request, what you need, when you need it by, and to give people the opportunity to do the same with you. So again, you could start that paying it forward at any place. You could start by helping someone. You could ask them what they need. That's another way to start. You know, say, you know, I see you're working on that, whatever that project is, you know, I read something I think might be useful to you. Here's a link to it. Or that gave me an idea. If you want to sit down, we could talk about that. So you can volunteer to help. That starts the chain as well as asking for what you need. Another really important lesson that comes out of all of this and coming back to what you just talked about, this notion of paying it forward, is that the request is the catalyst that sets off these chains of generosity. And you can create a huge amount of really immeasurable positive impact across your personal work, social networks by requesting things from people because that gives them an opportunity to be generous. Absolutely. What we found is that you know people are willing to help, they're willing to give, they're willing to be generous, but they can't read your mind. You know, they don't know what you need until you make a request. So I think of giving and receiving as a cycle that there's no giving without receiving. There's no receiving without giving, and the catalyst or the driver is always the ask, always the request. That starts the whole process, the whole cycle turning. The lessons that you share here are so important, and the idea that if we're just willing to ask, that our networks, our friends, our social infrastructure has so much untapped potential is something that could be in many cases, and and both the research and the examples you've shared, transformative to your life if you're just willing to put yourself out there and ask for help. It is really true. The research shows that the experience we've had over many years now shows that to be true as well. And people are surprised when they engage in some of these activities and exercises to really learn how powerful it is. You know, we're, we're brought up sometimes to really focus on individual achievement and accomplishment. You know, when you think about uh, the tests that you took in school or the you had to take the ACT or the SAT, those are things you all did. You did that by yourself. You know, you fill out your college application by yourself, everything about you that's going to get you into the school that you want to go to or the job that you're applying to. But in reality, life is about connection and collaboration. It's really about the network. Everyone needs input. Everyone needs an inflow of resources, of ideas, opportunities, a brainstorming, someone to listen to, even emotional support. We need those resources. We need the inflow of those resources to really be productive. So I say that people should be what I call a giver requester. A giver is someone who is very generous, who freely helps other people, even if they've never helped them or will probably never help them in the future. They're just generous and they help other people and they make requests for what they need. So you freely help and freely ask for what you need. Now we found that in our studies, only about 10% of people are in that category of being giver requesters. There's a much more common category, 
which is the overly generous giver. So the overly generous giver is someone who freely gives but doesn't ask for what they need. Now, they're very well regarded. They're held in high esteem because they're so generous, but their performance suffers and their productivity declines because they're not getting the inflow of all the resources that they need to be productive. Now, another type is called the selfish taker. Now, there actually isn't a lot of these people. There's some. The selfish taker is someone who doesn't help, who is not generous, who asks for what they need. And what we found there is that their productivity and performance declines over time as well because people stop helping them. Because you've got to give back, you've got to pay it back, and you've got to pay it forward. Over time, people will see that that person is not so generous, and so they'll stop helping that person. And then the fourth is probably the saddest one of all. It's the lone wolf or the isolated person, the person who tries to do it all by themselves, who never asks for what they need and doesn't help other people. And it's I call that a sad state of affairs because you're really disconnected from the community. You're disconnected from the network. So the best place to be is to be a giver requester, someone who generously helps other people and freely asks for what you need. That's a great place to be. And in many ways, in my opinion, at least, helps assuage the concern or the risk or the fear or the psychological barriers that might stop you from asking for something. If you're putting yourself out there and giving and helping freely, then you, by every right, should feel justified in asking for whatever help you need as well. Yeah, that's right. I I like to say that asking is a privilege earned by helping, by giving. Another thing I could say about the overly generous giver is that that's where you find a lot of burnout. In fact, there's an organization for women executives that I work with from time to time in Chicago, and they have seminars a couple of times a year, and I participate in some of those. And, you know, I'll talk about the importance of being generous, the importance of generosity, of giving, of helping. And invariably, these executives will say, I give all the time and I'm totally burned out. But before I could say anything, all of a sudden it clicks and they go, and I just realized that I don't ask for what I need. And so just being generous and never asking will lead to burnout. And the remedy or the solution to that is to start asking for what you need. And you think about if you've been generous and you've helped all these different people, you've got a big network of people out there who are super motivated to help you and they want to hear from you. In fact, you're denying the power of reciprocity by not asking for what you need. So not only do you have permission to ask, you've earned the privilege of asking by being so generous. So for listeners who want to concretely implement one of the things we've talked about today, you've shared some tremendous action steps and and implementable things. What would be one piece of homework that you would give them to take a first step and to start asking for what they need? Well, if, if I could suggest two. So one would be to apply some of the elements from the quick start method as a way of getting started. So that's, you know, I am currently working on X and I could use help to Y. You know, one of my urgent tasks is to X and I need to Y. One of my biggest hopes is to X and I need to Y. If you fill in the blanks there, that's going to get you a long way down the road to figure out what you really need. And then the other is to assess where you are. Are you a giver requester? Are you an overly generous giver or one of the other two types? And so we've created an assessment that is available for free for anyone who would like to take the assessment. And it will give you uh, scores on each of those dimensions. How do you rank 
on giving and on asking, and you really get to see where you are. And sometimes that assessment could be a big motivation to figure out what you need to do. Like, you know, maybe I am an overly generous giver and I, you know, I need to ask. And even taking the assessment helps you figure out some of the things that you can ask for. And for listeners who want to find you and your work online, what is the best place for them to do that? The best place would be to go for the website for my new book. All you have to do is ask, and that's where you could find the free assessment as well. And the website address for that is simply the title of the book. So www.allyouhavetodoisask.com. And there you can learn more about the book. You can take the free assessment, and there's other resources there as well. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing some incredible stories, some interesting research, and some great action-packed action strategies for people to really begin implementing this in your life. Well, thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm gonna give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. <laughs>